be amazing if you were to wake and find that you're not half the girl you thought you were. But of us in agreement with the notion that we're even, even with the difference in the score. Everybody, welcome back. So, as I've said many times, the inspiration for this podcast is to find out where the bands that you don't hear from anymore, where do they go? How do they pay their bills? How do they feel about their careers? And hopefully turn other people who love music and stories about music on to people they probably forgot about. And this week was one of the big inspirations for me for starting the podcast. In 1996, there was this excellent band called Reach Around. They only ever put out one album. It had one kind of moderate alternative radio hit called Big Chair that you're listening to right now. I saw them in concert back then. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And I've always wondered, where did they go? So this week, we talked to Matt Kaisley, who was the lead singer of Reach Around. And I get to know a little bit more about him and his career, what he does now. He's in a band called Former Human Beings that have put out some music over the last few years, a little bit here and there sporadically, but he's working on a really ambitious project right now that ties back to a comic book and everything. He tells us all about it in here. He also works days at a newspaper, so he's a regular Joe like we are. Anyway, hopefully you remember Big Chair. Hopefully, you, as always, you get turned on to some good music and you hear the story of the guy who probably honestly deserved a little more and it just didn't work out. He called me from his home in LA. Cool. Well, so I'll just kick it off then. So you guys are responsible for one of my all-time favorite concert experiences that I've ever had. Really? And I can't, yeah, and I, and I can't believe I'm talking to you because I have always wondered how this went down, and you'll have to explain it to me. So this would have been September of 1996. You were playing what was called the Big Ass Show, which is like a big festival in Salt Lake City, and it was at the fairgrounds. And oh, uh, you guys, yeah. yes, and you guys were in the middle. I think the headliners of that were probably Blur and Cake, I think, played that year. I went a few years in a row, and they kind of all blur together. But anyway, <laughs> I was there, and I was in the front row, standing there. I'm in college. Somehow, there are all of a sudden hundreds of little stuffed animals start oh, being thrown around that, all yeah. over the place. I remember right? that. Yeah, and and they get torn apart, and so it's not just hundreds of little stuffed animals; it becomes thousands of little pieces of stuffed animals, right? Thrown all over the place. It was one of the most exciting, coolest things, and I've never seen that before or since. And I've always wondered: is that was that a reach around thing? Did you guys bring those stuffed animals and put them out there somehow, and I missed it, or did someone else? How did that happen? Do you even know? I do know how that happened. They were doing a charity thing. Uh, for children, where pe- they were asking people to bring stuffed animals, okay, um, to put in like a box or something, I guess, to co- so they could collect them up. And at some point, somebody threw one on the stage, followed by another one, and they landed right at my feet. So I picked it up and I sort of kicked it like a soccer ball back out into the audience. Right. At which point, hundreds of them started flying at the stage. Yes. <laughs> it just they just it just went crazy. And we yeah. were laughing. I mean, I was like literally ankle deep in them at one point. I remember. I remember it well. I've never forgotten that because I've never seen it before, and it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. It was pretty cool, it, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and especially, I mean, Salt Lake City, you know, it wasn't really a hotbed for bands to come play very often. It's better now, but when I was growing up, it was right. there wasn't a lot going on. So to have a band like you guys come and put on a show like that, it was a lot of fun. I've never forgotten that. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, we did a lot of, a lot of those um, festivals that year in 1996, yeah. actually. Um, and some of them do blur into each other, but I remember that because of that exact thing. Yeah. Stuffed, stuffed animal things, I remember that one. Oh, very cool. And very I remember cool. talking to, um, there was this tall bloke um, backstage with an acoustic guitar. And I'm like, who is this bloke? You know, he, uh-huh. he, was, he was all on his own and he wasn't talking to anyone. And uh, then we figured out that he was a singer from uh, Men at Work. Men at Work, yeah, Colin Hay. Yeah. I remember that too. <laughs> and we didn't figure it out until he started playing his guitar backstage, um, going, and I come from Melinda. And I'm like, oh my God, that's who that bloke is. And he was all on his own, he had no one with him. Yep. Yep. And just him and his guitar, lonely old bloke, it seemed, and I felt really sorry for him, so I started talking to him for a while. <laughs> nice bloke. Yeah, I just heard him on another podcast recently, and he was talking about how he had to like completely rebuild his career from nothing after yeah. the success of Men at Work. And, and if I remember right, he wasn't even a, a performer. Like he didn't put on his own, he didn't have his own set time or gig at that thing. He would play for like ten minutes while other bands were getting ready and set up. Oh, is that what he was doing? Now? Yeah, wow. yeah, it was weird. He was like in a little intermission yeah, thing maybe three or four times throughout the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very weird, but that that was fun. We didn't get a lot of that in Salt Lake City, so that was cool. So tell me about, now, first of all, I so I've owned Who's Tommy Cooper, as far as I know, the one and only Reach Around album. <laughs> I've had that a couple of different times. I remember buying it back when it first came out. And in fact, this is so one of the things we talk about in this podcast is kind of the money side. Right. And not to get too overly specific, but just, you know, whatever people are willing to share. And I realized this is actually a question I would have for you. So I, I bought that album through, do you remember like BMG and Columbia House and those? Oh, where, you, where you like pay a monthly subscription or something? Yeah, you'd get like 12 CDs for a penny and then you had to buy three more over the next year or something like that. I bought Who's Tommy Cooper that way. And uh, the first time, and then I think I may have sold it back to pay my rent or something and then bought it again a couple more times. But, like, do you remember at all how that would have been paid? Did you make any, do you make any kind of royalties on Columbia House, BMG sales? Um, Not as far, I mean, I I get my royalty uh, statements uh, Two or three times a year, I think two t- two or three times. I can't remember which. I don't remember seeing anything specifically from Columbia House on that. Okay. Okay. Then again, you know, it might not be a full rendering for all I know. Sure. Sure. Okay. I just realized as I was thinking back to how I discovered you guys and kind of my relationship with but you. Then ag- that but then again, I don't really know how that works. It's because that's know. record sales. The way it works is publishing your royalties. Um, comes from uh, the publishing company, and that's for airplay and stuff like that. Right, right. Um, and the the record sales, first of all, the money goes back to the record company. Yeah. Where they recoup all the money they spent on making your record and paying for the tour and the video and all the rest of it. Yep. And unfortunately for us, they spent a fortune <laughs> on all of that. So I'm not sure yeah. we ever saw any <laughs> that much in the yeah. record. Yeah, I had a feeling. Yeah. I had a feeling. Now I gotta ask: Is the band name Reach Around? Is it the sexual connotation that 
I would assume that it is, or does it mean something different? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. In a word, yes. Okay. Um, okay, so you're being provocative, right? I'll explain, I'll explain. Oh, okay. I'm going to give you the truth. I've never told um, the public this, this uh, oh, true version of, awesome. of what it okay. is. Because we always try to keep it PC when we did radio interviews and they asked that question. Of course. So we, yeah. in every city we had a different story. But the true story <laughs> is we were originally called the Great Unwashed. Um, oh. Which is what uh, the Americans during the Independence War, they used to call the British, the Redcoats the Great Unwashed when they got off the yeah. boats because they were so filthy from being at sea for right. however many weeks. Uh-huh. Uh, and we were all British, so we're like, oh, yeah, Great Unwashed will be called that. And we had that name for about five years, I imagine, locally. And we, okay. couldn't, and we, we couldn't get signed with that name. Uh. <laughs> like everybody, We got courted by every label under the sun, and they loved the band. And I think their problem was the name, but they never, no one ever actually told us that. Anyway, so we were doing a showcase for, I think, maybe Warner or someone like that. And um, the, the original drummer, Adam Maples, and I used to stop off on the, our way to the studio to get some real uh, British ales from this one particular shop. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, that always made us late because we were always being there. Oh, what about this one? What about that one? You know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and the guitar player, Ted... When we showed up that day, he's like, where the hell have you been? We've got the record company coming in, da 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 And uh, Adam, who was the one American in the band, um, in his dry way, just said, uh, we stopped off for a reach around on the way over, man. Uh, <laughs> just jokingly. And then, anyway, so we got on with it, did the showcase, and afterwards Warner asked us, uh, so what are you calling yourselves? And the drummer just straight-faced yelled out, reach around. No way. And they instantly went, we love it. We love it. What? And we were stuck They're with okay it. with that? That's oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it happened. The rest is history. Oh, my gosh. So it was not a good thing, though, really, in the long run. Um, really? Because now, for instance, every time someone puts a Wikipedia page up about us, they take it down because they think that yes. reach around is a rude word and you can't have that on whatever. That makes sense, because you're a hard band to find a lot of information on. I think and I have to be very careful when I Google, you know what I mean? Yeah. It has to be reach around the band. Yeah. I know, um, and I, that's really sad, actually. I've read some of the discussions between the the people on Wikipedia, and there's people defending us, saying, no, but they're a band, and you know, yeah. they should be allowed to be on here. How can you like discriminate them against them because of you know the words right. reach and around? It's just, just right. ridiculous. And there'll be like one woman going off, going, no, no, it's a rude word. Right. So it always ends up getting taken down in the end, um, Mm. which is sad. And I think that's the reason why it's not on iTunes either. Really? I wondered that too. It's not on Spotify. It's hard to find. But then again, there's not a lot of information on it. There's another band called Reach Around, which is Reach Around Bell X11 or something like that, I think. Yeah. I think that's a song. I think Bell Bell X. Whatever. I think I may even have an album of theirs, and I think Reach Around yeah, is the name of the Reach Around Rodeo Clowns as well. Yeah, okay, okay. So it's um, out there, but for whatever reason, you guys keep getting the shaft. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, there was a time where it wasn't even, the video wasn't even going up on YouTube, and I think now it's even only on Vivo. Really? Yeah. Um, oh, man. Which uh, okay. sucks for us, because, it, you know, it yeah. cuts into royalties and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you live and learn. We had a fun time with it anyway. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Okay. 
So let's go back to the beginning. So, like, the great unwashed, you're obviously British, but you live in L.A., and yes. I believe you have done for a long time, yes, right? that's right, yeah. LA. Okay, so when did you come to L.A., and is that when the great unwashed started? No, I came and to was it to be a rock star? Is that what brought you to L.A.? That is why I came to L.A., yes. I was in England, and um, I met this American girl who was at the London College of Fashion and fell in love with her, and... Uh, once the school term finished, she she went back to uh, L.A. Okay. And I just was heartbroken that she was gone, so I decided that I had to get back out to L.A. I mean, I had to go to L.A. and, and find her. Right. Which I did. I uh, saved up some money and flew out and spent six months, which was the length of my visa, okay. um, hanging out with her. I was pretty young, you know, a teenager, sure. just like probably 18. On, yeah, probably 18. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what year are we talking about? That would have been about 1988 or something like that. Okay, okay. So my visa ran out, so I had to go back to England. Um, I went back to England, and again, I was like, couldn't deal with life without her. Sure. While I'd been here, I'd seen a lot of rock bands and stuff. Guns N' Roses had just sort of come out with their album, sure. and it was like the big, this was the place to be for sort of rock bands, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so when I went back to England, I put an ad in the... The Melody Maker, which is a newspaper, a music newspaper in England, looking for a, a you know a guitar player, a bass player, and a drummer, uh, and whole loads of people came around and and you know auditioned and stuff. And this one oh, bloke, wow. this one bloke who came around, this English guy called Tony Foster, or Tony Dog and Foster, he played me a tape, and I said, uh, that's cool, but that's um, isn't that Steve I? And he's like. No, no, that's me playing Steve Vai. Oh, was, wow. He was that good of a guitar player. Like, Amazing. Wow. So so I got him in, and he had a bass player, mate, and we got another drummer. And um, I told him, right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to Los Angeles. We're going to sell all our equipment and use the money to buy tickets to go to Los Angeles, where it's all happening. Because uh-huh. while I was there, I scoped out instruments, and they were really cheap compared to you know what you could sell them for in England. Right, so, okay. That's what we're going to do. And to their credit, they all said, sounds like an adventure, let's do it. <laughs> Had you been a musician up to this point in London? Um, yeah, um, I've been in, in some, like, you know, college bands and things like that. Okay, okay. But nothing... So this wasn't major. a complete... I mean, it sounds like it was partially a lark, but you were attempting a career as a musician yeah, in I wanted England. Yeah, I mean, before. I wanted to be a musician. Okay. For sure. Got it. Absolutely, okay. yeah. Um, okay. That's all I could think about was being a, a rock star. So anyway, we put the band together. We called ourselves the Medicine Show um, because oh. we were in a pub and there was a mirror behind the bar that said the Medicine Show on it with an old wagon on it. Oh, So we just said, oh, that'll do. That's a good enough name. Yep, yep. Rolling forward, uh, the drummer, he, he got his girlfriend pregnant and said he didn't want to come. So me, the guitar player, and the bass player, and a roadie basically came on our own. And um, now the funny thing is, that guitar player, Tony Foster, his nickname is Doggin, and he now plays for Spiritualize.
Yeah, he's now he's still my best mate, and he's a guitar player in Spiritualized. And I love that. Spiritualized. He's also in um, Soul Savers. Um, yeah. Oh, with Dave Gahan. Yeah, he wrote half the. You know, he plays on the album and all the rest. Oh of the man. Yeah. Well, so, it worked out for that guy. Jeez. Yeah, he's, he's he's just an incredible guitar player and one of my best mates in the world. Um, wow. Anyway, so we came out here, found another drummer, did about five shows, I think it was, and then got picked up by Chrysalis Music after that. Like, I knew, basically what it was, was I convinced them that we'd be the only British band there, so therefore would instantly be uh, interesting to everybody. Right, and, right. And I believed in it so much, and they believed in in my idea so much, that when we came here, it worked. For some unknown right. reason, we did five shows okay. and got signed. And Interesting. Then, yeah, we were playing at you know local places and the coconut teaser and that and okay, a band called Mighty Joe Young was opening for us. Do you know who they are? Okay, I've heard but of them. Yeah, they, Stone, they turned changed their name to Stone Temple Pilots. That's how I know that name. Yeah. Wow, and Scott Weiland just died. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So they were like opening for us. Um, oh wow! You know, the coconut teaser and places like that, you know. Now, is your sound? I mean, because Reach Around to me, it's obviously kind of rockabilly inspired. It, it's almost like a British social distortion, in right. a way, to me. Were the previous iterations of the band were they also of a similar sound, or did you ha- were you experimenting with different things? After the Medicine Show broke up, like, we, we hung around for a couple of years, and then we all sort of went our separate ways. I instantly was asked by. Ted, the guitar player from Reach Around, to join that band. And um, okay. when I joined, when I first joined it, we were more of a bluesy rock band, kind of grungy too. Sort of like the Seattle thing was then happening. Sure, huge. Yeah. We sort of had elements of that, of that kind of. A lot of people compared us to um, Alice in Chains. A lot of people compared us to them. So okay. we were like that more, a, sort of a bluesy version of them. Okay. And we did our thing. We got courted by every label. Um, and there was always just, like, it was a period of time where um, A&R people were frightened to sign anybody in case they didn't happen. And right. then they were worried about losing their jobs, so no, mm-hmm. nobody was signing anybody at that time. So we had people like Nigel Harrison, you know, remember from Blondie? He was working yes. at A&R for, I think, Interscope. Yep. And, like, he would set up these showcases. He was really into the band, but he just couldn't pull the trigger and sign us. And we we did all oh, these. Man. We get, kept getting put into the studio to record demos. And this went on for several years. And we all had side bands as well that we were all playing in. And we decided, oh, let, you know, this isn't this isn't going to happen, so let's just do our side bands and, like, call it quits. Uh-huh. Um, but what happened was um, we rehearsed out of this place called Hully Gully. Uh, rehearsal studios where I also worked as a sound engineer this guy called Dusty Waitman came up to us and said I hear, I hear you're going to break up um, we're like yeah yeah we've sort of had enough of not being signed uh-huh. um, and he said uh, I'm I'm uh, Dwight Yoakam's producer and I work here with no Dwight way. Yoakam a lot and I stand outside your rehearsal room and listen to you guys because you're my favourite band I love what? your stuff please please I own my own studio before you break up Write me five new songs, and I'll let you record them for free. I'll produce them in my studio. Just do that for me before you decide to break up. And we're like, wow. All right, what, what the heck? Why not? Yeah. Um, the first one I wrote uh, was Big Chair. Okay. Um, Still killer to this day. It's a great <laughs> track, man. 
Oh, thanks, man. Um, sure. It, it, the song's about an argument I had with me then girlfriend, and she stormed. We were like arguing all night. It was the night before I was supposed to show up with a song written, and I wasn't able to write the song because I was arguing with her all night, and she stormed okay. out in the morning and then left me sitting in this big recliner, which was the big chair. Oh, right. So I said, oh, crap, I've got, I've got to be at rehearsal in like, you know, an hour and a half. Uh-huh. So I just grabbed a notepad and, and basically wrote out the argument that we just had. And I didn't no change way. anything. You know, I just wrote the whole argument out. And yeah. I'm not a great guitar player. Um, I'm a bit better than I was then. But um, I, you know, got a guitar and just went... And that was my tune. No way. So traveling quickly, going nowhere, was that... Yeah. That was something you two were saying to each other during your fight? Yep. <laughs> the whole thing oh, about that argument, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just the, the the opening. Wouldn't it be amazing if you were to wait and find that you're not half the girl you thought you were? You know, it's me yeah. talking to her, basically. Oh man. And That's uh, great. the band, we, you know, it was quite quick to figure it out. Uh, took took about ten minutes to write the lyrics originally, and took about another ten minutes to figure out my simple three chord music parts. I think the guitar player Ted made one change which was I had originally written oi uh, hey hey sitting in the big chair and he changed oh. it to oi oi sitting in the oi big oi chair. right and that was it that was that song written and we we wrote oh, a few right. more recorded them with uh, Dusty in his studio and he goes hey look I've got this mate who um, he's a radio promoter he promotes you know for the big labels whatever CD they want promoted what do you think about letting him promote your stuff he can just tack it on the end of his like you know list of uh-huh. bands he's paid to do sure Sure, whatever. So he yeah. he did that, and um, before we knew it, we were like number one on like half the radio uh, college radio stations in in America. Really? Yeah, that's how it happened, basically. Nice. You know, I was working as a chef, I think. Um, in a you were. I was just going to ask you. Okay, so you're a chef. <laughs> I was a chef. Uh, that's your. That's how you're paying your bills, but you're but trying to get reach roundup off the ground. Yeah. What happened was Tony Foster from Medicine Show, who's now in Spiritualized, was working as a chef. Uh-huh. And he was going back to England, so he said, hey, Matt, do you want to take over my job for me? Oh, I'll just train you up and you can take it over. I'm like, sure, why not? So I learned his stuff, and he said, one thing you've got to do, though, is get a harmonica and listen to blues radio all the time and just pr- learn how to play the harmonica, no which way. is what I did. So I said, all right, and I did that, and I learned how to play it. And uh, we added it in, the, obviously, on the album quite a lot. Um, yeah. The first time I'd ever recorded it, actually. If she didn't get me so wrong If she didn't get me so wrong I'd be in those days Working as a chef, and then I get a phone call saying, um, 
You're number one in Denver. They want you to go there and play at uh, this show with Nada Surf and da, 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 all these other bands. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. So, and they're paying to fly you out and everything. And we're like, wow, this is amazing. And then we'd show up and um, and it would be just like a huge, massively packed hall of like several thousand people. And, you sure. Know, at that point, we'd only sort of been playing to a few hundred people at a time. So it was amazing. And I'll never forget that first show that we did in Denver. Where at the end of the set, I think I said, uh, um, my, our manager at the time, well, he wasn't our manager actually, he was the guy from the record label. Um, not the guy from the record, the guy from the, the radio promoter guy. Okay. Uh, he, he, had, he said, I've had some t shirts made up uh, for you to give out. So I, at the end of the set, I said, Who wants a t shirt? And the crowd just went crazy. So I started right. throwing them out. And then I said, um, oh, I've run out of t shirts. Who wants a sweaty towel? Which is all I had left. And they went mad again. <laughs> So I of threw course. that out, and, and yes. they were fighting over it. It was crazy, man. So that was my yes. first taste of the, of stardom right there in Excellent. Denver. Excellent. That's where I am, by the way. I'm in Denver. Yeah. I love Denver, yeah, because of Wild. that. Wow. Your Sorry. rock and roll dreams are kind of coming true, right? Exactly, I mean, yeah. you're starting to realize what it was you wanted all along. Yeah. I mean, then I went back to L.A. and back to my job as a chef. And then, yeah. you know, a week later... They're like, oh, you're number one in Orlando, Florida, and they want to fly you out to play at the Hard Rock there. No way. So we did that, and we flew out there and played there. And at this point, you know, we, it's our songs on the radio a lot, on co- college radio stations in all these towns. Uh-huh. Um, and I guess um, what happened was um, these two guys from Interscope, they were actually on a, a subsidiary of Interscope, which was Trauma Records, and they had um, No Doubt, and they had Bush, and uh, they had... Oh, the funk junkies and they were driving through Florida and they heard it on the radio the big chair song okay so they called the radio station found out the details about us and then called us up and called us in for a meeting and then they signed us basically wow that's it so when you're playing Denver and you're playing Orlando has who's Tommy Cooper is that even out in the stores or are you still putting together we were playing we were playing off the back of what we did recorded with Dusty in that studio was a um, a four four song uh, EP, you know they, he paid to print okay. about 500 copies of a of a CD with uh, them four songs on it. Yeah, that's what the radio promoter guy was promoting to the radio stations that he was sending wow. that CD and, and you know. And, so uh, you're getting all this pub and all this excitement, and you haven't even completed your first album yet. No, we hadn't. We hadn't completed it at all. We hadn't even. We didn't even. It was so fast. We didn't even think have time to think about anything really to be honest yeah yeah you know now let me ask you this did you meet any heroes or what were some of like the highlights i mean i'm guessing the i mean i hope this (laughs) i'm not trying to sound mean or mean spirit or anything but i'm guessing the whole lifespan of reach around on a global you know on a mass level was only a year or two a couple of years as reach around yeah but okay we've been together for like right. five years before that, so we were very, very tight as a you know we knew how to play sure. with each other very well. The right. Only, the only change came was when Adam, the drummer, decided he also had a baby and decided he didn't want to go on tour. So we brought okay. Scotty Slam uh, as a drummer who I, I'd known for years here in LA, and he took over on the drums and did a great job as well. Um, now I read, did he die or something <laughs> in a street fight? He he staged his own death. <laughs> he did. Okay, so that was a rumor. He's a very funny okay. bloke, is Scotty, and uh, so he put out a rumor when the band sort of broke up. He put out a rumor that he died in a knife fight. 
Yeah. Uh, okay, but he's still alive. He's still alive, and he's still playing okay. drums, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I wondered about that. Actually. Oh, good, okay, I wondered about that. Yeah. So, in those two years, what were some of, like, the, the highlights, you know? What are some of the things you take with you oh, as, like, so the many. most amazing memories? I mean, the opening... The open after we did the album, the the Who's Tommy Cooper album, we embarked on our tour, and the first date on the tour was um, again at Denver at Red Rocks, opening for the Sex uh, Pistols on their what? reunion tour. Really? Yeah, yeah, the Filthy Lucre tour. That's right. Yeah. So no way. Now, you know, being a, a man who grew up in the '80s or a boy that grew up in the '80s, but one of my favorite videos was "You Two Under a Blood Red Sky" live of at Red course. Rocks. Of course. Yes, Sunday Bloody Sunday. for the Sex Pistols, which was another that one of my had to blow your mind. Yes, yeah, that, that that really blew my mind, and I, 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 it was just amazing. And they they were amazing as well. Watching them, we were yeah. watching from the side of the stage, and uh, they were just amazing. And it was a great show. I have. Yeah, did you go on a whole tour with them, or did you? Was it just a couple of one-off shows? No, or? no, no. We, um, we just opened their tour for them. That was their first night day of the tour okay. as well. Um, and okay. uh, I guess because we were a British band, somehow it was sure. legal that we got on there. The whole thing, actually, that video of that show is on YouTube of the whole is show. Is it? Okay, yeah. good. I'm going to go find it. Scotty Slam, put the, the drummer, put that out there for, for people. Okay. And you can see um, the British flag Sex Pistols drum kit right behind us. Oh, uh, man. Stage. But, yeah, that was the first thing. That, so, right there, that was my, you know, my idol was the Sex Pistols. And, um, sure. And I'm at Red Rocks, so that was a, a pretty major thing right there. Yeah. Um, then uh, what, who else? Oh, there's so many people that we met. I mean, well, we good. Did, we opened for Cheap Trick at some uh, somewhere on the. Oh uh -huh, yeah. Which was pretty amazing. Um, yes. That's cool. Cool. Yeah. So we did that. We were on tour with the Reverend Horton Heat.
did a show in Washington, D.C., a Halloween party thing, with the oh. butthole surfers opening, and then Luscious Jackson, and then us. Okay. Um, they played one of the big-ass shows I went to, too. I can't remember if it's the one that I saw you at. but I have a um, T-shirt of the big-ass show somewhere, I think, in my uh, collection of T-shirts from that tour. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So tell me then, I mean, you've got to be feeling like you've arrived, right? Like this is the culmination of everything you've hoped for. But was there ever even a second single released from that album? No, no. I never heard from you guys again yeah. after I saw you in concert. There were a lot of reasons why the band broke up, but but one of the big ones was the record label and the fact that the, we never had a manager. Oh. Which was a big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> you really need some, someone between the band and the record label. Otherwise, the record label is just going to walk all over you, which is pretty much what they did. Um, yeah. Telling us that we needed to have... Uh, you know, a ten thousand dollars a week tour bus, right? Um, to go on tour with, but whereas we were been quite happy with a five hundred dollars a week RV, you know what I mean? Sure, and, sure. And so we had no manager, which left us like open to all sorts of manipulation, I would say. So we wrote for the second album, we wrote like probably thirty songs that were good songs, but the label would come in and they would say. Oh, we want you to sound a bit more like Radiohead or whatever was, you know, whatever was doing really well at the time. Or one yeah. was Radiohead, and then it was U2, or, and then yep. it was, you know, this and that. And it, this went on for, like, months and months, and we wrote so many different songs um, to the point where we were all frustrated. We were, like, you know, basically spending seven days a week in a rehearsal room with no windows trying to come up with songs. Yeah. Um, we were arguing with each other. And so it was all it was all a big mess, and, and and in the end, Ted fell in love with that Verve album, you know, um, with the bittersweet. Yes, bittersweet. Uh, That's one of my favorite albums ever. Yes. Yeah. And he tried. He he wanted to take the band in that direction, and and for me, we'd been on the road doing these sort of punky, almost punky kind of '60s British invasion kind of songs. Uh huh. And we had all this audience of people that were great to us, and that's the kind of music they liked, obviously, because they yeah. bought the record, came to the shows. And for me, it, you know, I recorded some of the songs, and they were very soft and, like, vervy, basically. Okay. A lot of uh-huh. acoustic guitars, and I'm like, oh, I just wasn't feeling it, to be honest. Yeah, that's not really your strong point. No, I mean, I could do it, but it just, you know... Right. They, they would, you know, they would be... Um, Ted, the guitar player... And the label, you know, he just doesn't sing it like he means it. And it's because I yeah. didn't, really. You know what I mean? Right, I didn't, right. They, they were like, it just wasn't me. I'm much more of an aggro kind of a guy. Right, right. So anyway, that went on for a while, and it was just frustrating and going nowhere. So it was traveling quickly and going nowhere. Yeah, I was just going to say. Right. Is, so I quit the band at that point. Um, and, uh, really? Yeah. I just, so, I okay, so the end of Reach Around is not due to label indifference, it's the band breaks up. And you've recorded 30 songs that are still locked away somewhere, having never seen the light of day, I'm assuming, right? Well, some of the uh, vervy ones did, because the guitar player, Ted, and the bass player, Jeff, they'd known each other back in England for a long time before they knew me. Um, okay. I was, basically, I was the newest guy in the band. Well, not You were the new there, guy, okay. Except for the drummer. Um, <clears throat> but they were like in a band called The Promise back in the day in England. Oh. And when I met Ted, he was working with the guy from Gene Loves Jezebel. 
Oh, right. And uh, I guess that wasn't working out. So okay. He, which is why he started the Great Unwashed. But anyway, so they stayed together and, and, and made a band called Jacked, which is J-A-C-T. Right. And they used some of those songs, a couple of the oh, okay. songs on that album. I'm out of the dark I'm gonna start Kicking your day from you Coming up fast Giving it large Ain't nothing that we can do Respect is respect Don't say all the Oh, you did? Yeah. Now, so when Reach Around ends, do they go back to England, and that's where Jack takes off? Take or are they still in L.A.? On his own to find another <clears throat> singer. Yeah, so where does that leave you? This Nowhere is where it drops is. off for me. I know, have no idea, other than I see some other band, Former Human Beings. Yeah, I'm in Former Human Beings now, which is a completely different experimental project. Yes, I can tell. DJ spinning and stuff all the time and occasional okay. bands and things 
Anyway, so at this point in time, music had changed drastically, and everyone was doing the the, the DJ thing. Remember? Right, uh, right, everyone sure. Everyone was going to raves and things, and yep, and that was the thing. Techno is just starting to become a thing, yeah, right? That, exactly. Yeah. It, it, William Orbit. Yep. Aphex Twin and all the yeah. Sure. Prodigy came out. Prodigy, right? And it was a whole different sort of thing. So I'm listening to this music every night because we have DJs and things spinning this music, and that was the kind of music they played there. And at first, you know, I was very, very against it because it's not a band. It's just a bloke spinning yeah. records or whatever. Right. Um, but, you know, then I started to understand how the music worked and what they did, the DJs and that, and I liked the music. And and the uh, the chef at the restaurant, I was the manager, he was the chef, was a Brazilian guy called Guy and uh, Guilherme. And he, uh, he he was a musician too, as I soon found out. And uh, okay. he, used, he used to like during the day when when I was setting up the place, you know, I'd play my CDs and things and stuff I'd downloaded off the internet. Shh, don't tell anyone. And, um, <laughs> and he liked the stuff I played, which was more band orientated stuff, you know. Right. Um, okay. But it was all over the place because I love everything. If it's good music, I'll sure. I like it. You know. I'm like the same way. Music. Yep. So he's like, oh, yeah, so you're a singer and you did this and that and da da da. What are you doing now? I'm like, well, I'm managing this restaurant now at the moment. Um, uh-huh. And he's like, well, let's let's get together and do some stuff. Home Studios had just sort of started. The Pro Tools sort uh-huh. of revolution had sort of just sure. started. And he had a computer with Pro Tools on it that he hadn't yet learned how to use, but he quickly did. And uh, it, not only that, he moved into my apartment with me because he needed a place to live. Um, and so we'd work at the restaurant, we'd come home from the restaurant, and we'd just, cause, because Make we were music. there until like 5 a.m., you know, and we didn't have to sure. be back until 4 a.m., 4 p.m. the next day, we would right. write songs and just record them in, in the apartment. Sure. Um, and so we did that for a while, and that was the beginning of former human beings, really. Um, and are we talking late 90s? Because yeah, we're talking about I only 98. Can... Okay, because yeah. I only see one former Human Beings album, there and I don't know much about it. And it's on Spotify, but it's labeled as 2008. Is yeah. that when that album came out? Um, I don't know why it's labeled as 2008. No, that would have been like, I don't know actually. Because see, the, the thing about that album is it's a collection of um, everything we did over a five-year period, like a oh. song from here and a song from there. It was really more of a demo, a collection of demos, really. Um, it's on iTunes, okay. so you can get it. On yeah. ITunes. Yeah, I noticed that. Because it sounds, it's funny, you mentioned Korn earlier, which had, in my mind, nothing to do with Reach Around. But I, the music that I was listening to, I didn't even know about Former Human Beings until a few hours ago, honestly. Oh, right. And uh, so I was trying to kind of cram it so I'd know what it was. It does have that sort of industrial, not rap rock, but there's some elements of that going on in there. Set me off An unrestricted 
the record is a collection of stuff from years ago. Okay, that's, that makes sense then. So what happened was the, um, yeah. the Brazilian guy had to go back to Brazil. And uh, he knew he wouldn't be able to come back. So we said, well, before you go, let's just put together everything we've done and pick the best of it and stick it on the CD and put it out there. Got it. Okay. You know, the whole idea of the band was I liked rock and roll, obviously, and, and punk uh-huh. and, and rock. But the thing that was happening was, was techno and, and all this. So I wanted to mix the two together. Like, well, why can't we just do both? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so that's what that, that ended up being, is just like a sort of an experiment of, of okay. putting the two kinds of music cool. together. And uh, and before we knew it, we had 30,000 fans on MySpace, and, you know, it was just crazy again. Now what we're doing now, we're currently working on a on a proper debut album, because that's not, I don't really consider that an album, it's more a collection sure. of demos. But we're now working on a proper album, um, which is a concept album with a an accompanying comic book. Um, oh! We have a comic book artist doing the story of the former human beings who... Uh, hail from another planet and come to Earth. Interesting, um, okay. And what they do is, um, in order, their ship uh, breaks down and they need a power source for it. And they land on Earth and they see a rock band in the desert. They, the uh, engineer guy, who's also the drummer, says, yeah, you know, if we collected all that ambient energy coming off that audience right there, we could power the ship back up again. So they steal a van load of equipment and start touring around the States doing shows in order to collect ambient energy off audiences. Oh, <laughs> so okay. That's the concept. Meanwhile, they're oh. being chased by these evil dudes. But anyway, that's all in the comic book. And the idea is we're breaking down the whole record label kind of thing, and I'm trying to avoid that for as long as possible. Sure. And rather than bring out an album as one whole album, which we will do eventually, we're, we're going to release these songs episodically each week with the accompanying chapter of the story that goes with the song oh, so each song will be a different part of the story and okay you, and so you'll tune in the next week to get the next episode as it were because everyone watches you know homeland and walking dead and of course episodically yeah. nowadays so yeah. you'll 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 watch part one and then you'll hear that song and then the week later you'll get the next song wow and then that's really ambitious it, you know, tell me about it it's hard work it's, i believe it be a lot of hard work and it probably i mean I you're probably doing this all on your own. No record label is paying you no, to no, make this your full-time studio. job, right? We have our own studio, recording studio, and I I'm wanting to avoid record labels because yeah. just because of the interference that we got from the reach around thing for as long as So possible. do you have a reg- right? So do you have a regular like full-time job that you um, I work as a for, as for a newspaper, yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah. What do you do? All sorts of things, but, you know, a bit of Okay bit of this and a bit of that. Um, cool. I uh, got my degree in journalism. So oh, really? I was going to be a newspaper reporter. And, and well, it's uh, still writing, you know. That's we all tried up. That's yeah. That's thing, isn't it? So it yeah. But uh, that, that's what pays my bills. And then when I'm okay. not doing that, then I'm in the studio, basically. Yeah, um, yeah, it sounds like it. Now, we're going to have guest musicians on the record. We have the, There's a full band, uh, guitar, keyboards, um, bass, and drums, and um, me on vocals and second guitar uh-huh. and um, but we're going to have guest musicians for instance Tony from Spiritualize is going to play on it um, cool. and also from Soul Savers Kev the drummer will be playing on it and then various other uh, people to be announced will Great. be playing on it um, Great. so it's going to be quite high profile but if I can avoid the record labels for as long as I can A I'm going to not have someone cutting into my profits <laughs> sure of course um, 
And B, I don't think that it's that necessary now with the internet to have yeah, a really record label anymore. because yeah. you know what's a record label? The, what they were good for was distribu- distribution and manufacturing, uh-huh. you know, really and promotion. Yeah, you hope. Yeah, you don't need that anymore, really. No, you can do it because no one's buying CDs anymore, even right now. They, right. It's just downloaded MP3, so you just need the internet. Um, yep. There will be um, a short run of uh, collected edition full vinyl versions of it which will have the whole comic book as one thing attached to okay. it okay cool so, as, as well as just the web webisodes um and what's the what's the eta on all this stuff oh what, it's going to be a while because we're doing it ourselves yeah yeah it's not going to be at least till the end of next year but uh, possibly in the summertime we'll start putting the first couple of songs out i mean we've already got okay. half of them recorded but we have to wait for the comic book guy to um you know, yeah. Do the accompanying pieces and and, and there's like so many different bits and pieces involved. Yeah, I in bet. It. I bet. Um, yeah. So it's a uh, it's a long, hard, and arduous. But I think that people will really like it when it comes out. It's it's not quite like the uh, the demo uh, album of Forming Human. Oh, Dreams. it's not. Okay, it's, the one that I heard. It has elements of that, but it's more okay. rocky than that. It's a bit okay. more rocky than that. Cool. It's just definitely still industrial. Got lots of synth in it. Um, okay. Uh, the young lady Atusa plays the synth on it, and she's pretty killer with her sequences and stuff. And, uh, awesome. But it also has like sort of you know Queens of the Stone Age style guitar oh, and things. Very interesting. Okay. So, so um, it, maybe it'll be something a little bit different than um, than what's out there already. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, I'm excited, man. I'm I'm interested in whatever you're doing. <laughs> cool man, thanks. I'm glad someone. Did. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, um, we've only we only wondered about you guys. We only ever do sort of like underground sort of shows, you know, where yeah. where it's like an inner warehouse and it's, you know, they want a, a band. We don't really do the local gigging scene that much. Really. Okay. Because um, huh. I've done all that before, you know. And I, right. I don't really right. feel the need to do that anymore. So we just sort of do parties and things. You know, okay. Rave, not raves, but you know, whatever they call it. Yeah, raves, I know what you mean. Warehouse parties. Okay. Right, right. Um, okay. Where you've got a locked-in audience, which is quite nice. So people get to are forced to hear you. <laughs> Good. We're, so we're, when now, you... we're, we're in between the DJs as opposed to a DJ being in between the bands. Yeah, I was going to say, it kind of sounds that way. That's <laughs> yeah. great, man. Good for you. Good. You're a musician, and you this want... A... I mean, mo- most of the people I've talked to, they just they get fired up at the idea of being creative. They have to be creative. Yeah, you I know? Have to. I Even have if to. they've moved on and they they have regular jobs, they still all have an itch. they got a scratch. You can't stop. And it sounds like this is satisfying that for you, right? Well, here's the thing. I don't know how to do anything else, to be honest. You know, my resume, right, right. My resume since I was 18 years old consists of a uh, rock star. And that's not yeah. very appealing to, like, any company that wants to, sure. to hire you to do stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, well, what I did do. you do between like 1990 and yeah. you know 2000? Uh, a rock star. And that's just yeah. not, not what they're looking for. Yeah, so kind of takes out takes you out of the corporate world, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it just keeps me out of a lot of things. I've, I worked for a couple of startup companies that were pretty cool and and, and fun to do because they were startup yes. companies, and that was exciting. But really, I can't stop doing music. You know, that's what I yeah. all I know how to do well, really. Uh, yeah, and all my friends are in the music. You know, or in bands and sure. stuff, and the people that I know are all in that. Sure. Um, so, you know, I'm always playing with someone. Somewhere. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, so this is my pet project, and um, good. And uh, I think people, people, 
I mean, I was surprised at how well received that demo album was. That yeah. so many people were into it. You know. Um, Good. So just on the strength of that, I felt like it was. Worth yeah. If you can build on off that, then you're in good shape. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. I've always wondered whatever happened to you. <laughs> I'm still here. Well, good. That's right. what I'm glad to hear, man. I'm glad to hear that. I really liked you guys, and you, that show was awesome. Was so great, and I'm I just thought they were so that. good. Where'd they go? They deserve more. Let me tell you, so, I, I had the best fun on that tour that I probably have had in my life. It, it was really it was just so so great, you know, to to show up in different cities and and, and play shows for thousands of people that knew all the words to every song. You know what I mean? Yeah, that alone. Um, yes, I remember the crowd going crazy with the oi oi, big chair. Uh, it's, yeah, it's like um, it's like no drug could ever be. It's that I can imagine. It's just so amazing to have an yeah. audience hang on your every word. I like bet, that. and and it I just gets, fills you with a with a, with an energy that's just unbelievable. Really, yeah. I would imagine to some degree you've been kind of chasing that high ever since, right? I mean, that's why you do. Well, I laid low for a long time after reaching. Yeah. I, I I kept my, my head down and worked in that restaurant. And probably was that by? I mean, so let me ask you a question about that. So I mean, when you're making, I imagine there's a transition. You're a chef, and then you become sort of discovered, and you're a rock star for for a little while. That becomes your livelihood, and your dreams are coming true, and you probably have aspirations for more. But then it goes, then it dies away again, and then you got to. Then you go back to managing the club. What was that transition like? When you, did you wake up one day and think, "Man, I got to go back and get a regular job again because I can't. I'm, this isn't working out the way I wanted it to." Or what? What is that? How does that feel? Let me tell you about. First of all, um, when you when you when we went on tour, that was the hardest work I've ever done. Yeah, I believe honest. it. I mean, not only was it the best time of my life, but it was the hardest work I'd ever done. We were waking up at 6 a.m. to go to a radio station and sing yeah. Big Chair with just an acoustic guitar and, and me singing it. Yeah. And then we had to be at Soundcheck and then do a show at some festival at lunchtime and then fly to the next city and do another show that evening with the Reverend Haunton Heat. Yeah. You know, and it was just, it was tough, you know, every day, basically. Um, sure. It wore, wore us all out. And then we had to write the next album and we are in there doing, it was such hard work. I mean, it was great, but it was hard work. Right, and right. And no, no, no other job I've ever had has been such hard work as that. And I've worked some gnarly jobs. I believe it. Side of buildings before and things. Sure. Um, but the, would you yeah, agree? What, and let me ask you one question about that, though. Don't you think there's a difference between doing hard work that you want to do and hard work that you don't want to do? Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. it's hard work, but it's also you're doing what you love. Well, I'm going to say something to you now that. Um, all my mates have heard me say many times, and they're probably rolling their eyes, but in the words of Sean Connery, who was asked um, by some talk show host what he would have been if he hadn't been James Bond, uh-huh. he said, well, all work is noble. And I always remember that line, all work is noble, so it doesn't matter right. what you're doing. Yeah. As long as you're working and you're not just laying about and you're doing something, True. It's, yeah. it's all good. But, yeah, it's, it was hard. The worst part of being a manager of a restaurant was when people would recognize me, I think. Oh. People would come in and, like, I'd, you know, sell yeah. them a beer or something. and they would, I could imagine. Wait, weren't you in Reach Around? And, you know, and that yeah. was, like, the worst part, really, for me, because it, it felt like a sort of a, a failure sort of thing, you know. I'm sure, like, I can oh, imagine. Yes, I was, and now I'm, in, I'm managing a restaurant. 
which yeah. seemed like a failure. Until I thought of that line from Sean Connery about saying all work is no good. And then it sort of got me through it, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. That's the, that's exactly what I want to know, is how that must feel. It's nostalgic to think about the time, you know, being on tour and stuff. But yeah. at the bottom line is I'm a musician, and that's all that really matters to me is playing yeah. music, which I still do. Good. Um, and, and before I was uh, a rock star for that short couple of years, I was working in restaurants and playing in bands, you know. Yeah. And basically my job was always just a way to pay the rent or to survive, you know. And uh-huh. uh, my music was what I lived for. And not much has changed, to be honest, you know. I'm, I work right. a job at a newspaper and it pays me bills. But do I love it? Um, no, I don't love it. It's right. all right, though. It allows yeah. me to write and it gives me um, free time to like work on songs. I hope they're not listening, but during the day when I'm working. Sure. No, um, I know. I know what you mean. Um, but So I'm able to do that, and, I, and I've carved a niche for myself where I'm able to do both now. Good. Um, I still go to concerts of, you know, with me rock star friends who are uh-huh. and famous, and I hang out with the stars still. So none of that has changed. I'm always still backstage at different things. And, oh, good. Um, you know, feeling that. And the only thing that I don't have is the big hit record and being on stage in front of thousands of people yeah. that know every word yet. Right, but, right. But, you know, it's not... It, I've, as I've got older, I've realized it's not as important as the actual creative side of it, as, as sure. uh, of writing the songs and, and doing it for your own enjoyment. And, um, you know, and I'm not saying that former human beings it doesn't have popularity, because we do have popularity. And Good. I'm sure once we do this record, it will blow up even more. Good. Um, but it's it's not just about... When I was younger before Reach Around it was all about being a rock star and sure so the, the fame was the most important part of it we sure. had to be famous I would imagine. You know? yep. and yep. now it's as I've got older it's not about that it's about getting my creativity out, out there you know just yeah. being creative and, and being with like minded musicians that um, are, on, want to do the same thing you know they want to just yep. create yep. something and if other people like it then that's awesome and that's great and um, yep. you know, wicked but we're doing it for ourselves more than anything, sure, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, that's the I can imagine. As I've matured, I've realized. I can imagine. Good. Okay. Do you have any regrets when you look back? Is there anything you wish you'd done differently that might have changed the course of your life? And Oh, many. Loads of people. I mean, everybody has regrets about this and that. Yeah. If only you could have a do-over of, you know, whatever. Yeah. There's loads yeah. of them. Um, yeah, or I'd have a manager for a start. I would have had a manager yeah, for a start. Yeah, it sounds like it someone who was strong enough to go in and say no 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 this is what you have to do the band doesn't want that because right. we'd always go in and they'd just railroad us you know they'd be like no no right. you don't want that you want I remember the f- when we first were signed to uh, Interscope going in there and my one of my best friends had, had made a, a website for us this is back before there were mm. websites even yeah and he'd made see. a website and I went in there and I asked the record label if I could have a hundred dollars to give to him so he could um, rebuy the domain name and um, uh, the website name, and they were like, "What's a website? That sounds nonsense. That's not going to last. That's a fad." And they wouldn't give me the hundred dollars to pay him any money, so I had to pay him out of pocket. And they didn't know what a website was, and that was another reason why the band founded. I think is because the music industry changed at that exact moment. Yeah, it sure from, did. From being a um, a band orientated thing to being a but to becoming a a, a pop song thing yep, is what it yep. is now. So you know yep. where the, the musicians don't even write their own songs half the time. It's written for them, 
um, by a team of writers, yeah. probably involving the, that English guy from American Idol. Um, yeah. You know, right. And, and it's all a big machine now, and they and they pump out this stuff. And if you yeah. don't have a hit record, then you're disappeared immediately. Right. Um, and and that's so awful. different. And it's not. It and is. It's horrible. When I was younger, it was about you know a band didn't have to have a hit record on it. They'd you know be signed for seven albums, and it wasn't until their fourth album that they had a hit record. But they yeah. were developed over that time, and and because they were like supported in doing their music, they got better and better and better and better. Until right. when they had that hit record, it was like they were a great band by this time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Whereas it's nowadays, time. it's like there isn't any of that anymore. It's like if you well, you've got to hit it and you've got to hit it, or otherwise you're gone. So that on that respect, I'm quite happy to not be, you know, involved with any of those record companies because the pressure right. they put us under to to make a hit song for that second album was just so intense. Like I mean, it yeah. was horrible. Thank you for talking to me. Hey, thank you this for uh, uh, an interest, man. It's uh, nice you, to, to reminisce a little bit. Yeah, you bet. I have, in fact, it's interesting. If you a couple months after I started doing this, all I started thinking about all these names of people that I wanted to track down, and I started keeping a list. And I'm not even joking. If you were to look at my list, Reach Around is the top name on my list. Really? Yeah. It was the first, when this, when it started to, like, people, because I had this idea for a while, uh, for years, honestly, and I didn't know what to do about it, because I'm, I'm just a regular guy, but I really want to talk to these people. Thankfully, one night, guy, man. you know, you are, you're, a, you're, a, you're an archivist, or a librarian, or something, you're someone who's keeping these things alive. Kind, that's kind of how it feels. I say this in all humility, it, I believe that, I believe strongly, like, I want to keep the spirit alive, of these bands, you know, that I talk to and I let them know that they're loved. That. Yeah, I totally I do. That. I think well, that's good. that you're doing it because, you know, there's a lot of good bands that are going to be forgotten. Like, Sure. Some of the bands that we played with on tour, like, um, what are they called, that British band Space something with a telephone at the beginning. Space of the Hog. Yeah. No one's ever yeah. going to remember them if, except for that one song, you know what I mean? You're right. Today, you're never going to even hear that. I know. Unless it's, it's kept true. Alive. And it's a great song. It's a really good yeah, song. Yeah. I mean, I the rest of the stuff, but that is a really good song. Right. And so I want to know what those, you know, what, how's the guy, what's the guy in Space Hog doing? Exactly, you know? Yeah. How, and, and from a, an outsider like me, um, you know, you had it, you, I've, I've been lucky enough to listen, to talk to people who have had like one hit. Can you live off that hit? For the rest of your life, and if you can, how does that work exactly? You well, know, it depends how big a hit it is, really. Exactly. Well, and it, and I've learned about 
points, you know, did you write it? Did you produce it? Did you arrange it? Did you sing on it? Everything, right. you know, gets another point or two in the system. And um, so some people can, some can't. It really depends. But that's yeah. all the stuff that I think, you know, regular people don't know that. That's so true, yeah. I thought, well, let's find out about this stuff. And hopefully well, people will talk. And they, and they have. A lot of them have so far. Well, I'll tell you what I did. Um, myself and the guitar player, Ted, wrote the songs. Um, we sort of, one of us would come to the other with the idea and then we'd like flesh it out usually. Um, and uh, so, but what happened was, the, and it happens with a lot of bands, is the bass player and the drummer wouldn't have been able to quit their day jobs and go on tour mm -hmm. if they didn't have any money. Because you're not going to get money from the record label because they're recouping everything. Right. So if they don't have any publishing money, then they don't have any money except for... Yeah per diems and, and then they're like paid musicians that you know hired musicians so we sure. gave 15% each to the drummer and the bass player and then 35% oh, nice. each for ourselves as the main songwriters that's great and um, you know that's how you keep a tour going that's how you allow them to like give up their day jobs really. yep um, and everyone then has a stake in the success everyone has right? a stake in it um, for the drummer yep. because we had we had an original drummer and then Scotty took over as the drummer they got seven and a half percent each, you know. So okay. It was harder for them, but um, I know Scotty had the time of his life on that tour. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he, he went from working in a uh, in a refrigerator magnet company, you know, oh, making those things. And I called him up and said, "Hey, Scotty, um, yeah. we need a drummer. Are you still playing drums? Yeah. Uh, do you want to come down and do this?" And he, you know, we, we loved him straight away. He got the job, uh -huh. and then, you know, literally a couple of months later, he's on tour. You know. Wow. He quit his job and goes on tour. His yeah. mind must be just going nuts. Yeah. He plays with the yeah. That video of us with the Sex Pistols, he, I think he threw out an entire tour's worth of drumsticks into the audience because he was so excited. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah, see, these are the stories. These stories are going to get lost if they don't get told. And we hear the same big stories. I mean, everyone's heard about the recording of Fleetwood Mac's Rumors and Joshua Tree and the Rolling Stones and... I mean, nothing against any of those bands, but we know those stories. Right. I just believe there's other stories that the littler guys can tell that you probably don't know about, but they deserve their attention, too. Nothing is and great that's, for the, doing that. that's why I think this is important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There you have it, Matt Kaisley. So, word to the wise, it's probably a good thing not to name your band something sexually suggestive because you will only be fighting an uphill battle from then on out. That's too bad. Great guy in a great band though. Look up Former Human Beings if you like the clips we played in here. It's interesting stuff. Big thanks to Jan Makevich for producing this and everything else. So grateful for him. Find us on iTunes, please subscribe, write a review, good or bad, I don't care. Find us on Facebook, uh, you can stay in contact with us that way. You can send me an email if you want at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. You can subscribe to our playlist on YouTube. Just type in the Hustle Podcast playlist and there we are. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. All of substances change
myself overwhelming insecurity. Outside, I looked up. 